Welcome to Wisco Dice. Welcome to Wisco Dice. Well, hello. Hey. Hey, this looks a little bit different than normal, doesn't it? I think so. We are recording from the new and approved Dugansdale Studios. Dugansdale Studios, located in Madison, Wisconsin. Which is really just the new and official permanent home of our Wisco Dice recording studio. You mean they don't have to sit downstairs in your gamer funk the whole time while we're recording? There's no gamer funk in the basement. Okay, you're, you're right. There really isn't gamer funk. You mean they don't have to sit downstairs and listen to the dehumidifier going all the time that we're yep, recording? We have, we have migrated from the basement to an upstairs spare bedroom. Which might be the shortest migration in all of natural history. I don't know if it was the shortest. But, anyway... Anyways, to move on, who do we have here? Well, I think, I think I'm think... here. My name is Paul, or otherwise known as PJ Shard, or Wisco Dice on Twitter. And I am the Conesy, the Conesy with the most. Conesy! What do we have on the agenda for today? Well, I think we're going to talk about comp. All right, I believe that is one of our things we're going to chat about. We are also going to have a little chit-chat about Invasion Kenosha, which when this releases will probably be... Right around when we're going to and attending that event. Yeah, exactly. So that'll be pretty cool. Um, So you'll hear about what we're doing as we're doing it. That'll be interesting. And we're going to go ahead and give a quick shout-out and thanks to our sponsors. Yeah. So uh, first, let's go ahead and thank The Last Square, located on Odana Road in Madison, Wisconsin. They handle all of your miniature needs. Hey, did you see that? The Last Square has now got an online store as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, they've had an online store for a while, but they've actually started making sure that you have all those items right there that you can see. I mean, they have a 20% discount on any Games Workshop item every day whenever you order through them. And they've also started the Last Square blog as well. And uh, I post on there uh, about Warhammer Fantasy. Yep, you can catch the Wisco Dice folks from time to time with a blog post on the Last Square blog. So, Or in-store at the Last Square playing Warhammer Fantasy. So it's a good place. Yeah. All right. And next up on the sponsors of the show. Sponsors of the show is Misty Mountain Games. I believe that's located on Cottage Grove Road in Madison, Wisconsin. Is that correct? It is. They are your great gaming store store. They have card games, board games, miniatures, all that kind of stuff. With the most gaming space of any of the venues in Madison and the only real game store on the east side for all you east siders so make sure you stop by the misty mountain games yes and last but not least we have the wwhfb what is that then that is the wisconsin warhammer fantasy battles league well they've been one of our sponsors forever Uh, you can check them out at wwhfb.com yep they will be happy to help you point out finding a person to game against in the wisconsin area not just madison milwaukee Kenosha, Stevens Green Point. Bay, Stevens Point, all you name it, all over Wisconsin. You go to the WWHFB and you'll be able to find your hookup. And if you and if you don't have a, a club or a league like the WWHFB in your neck of the woods, it's time you went ahead and got one going. And then you can post it to our forums at WiscoDice.com to Wisco let other people know about where it is. Exactly. All right. Cool. Okay. So what have we done in the last couple of weeks? Well, um, I have not gotten any games in outside of Blood in the Sun. I mean, that's not too surprising, but there you go. I've had a really busy week after Blood in the Sun, and this last week was way too hot to think about doing pretty much anything here in Wisconsin. Yeah, for those of you that (laughs) didn't know, 
Wisconsin and most of the country has been under this massive heat wave. Yes. We, we've just had record-setting temps having a heat for the last wave. week. Today's been the first day. It's actually like under really degrees. comfortable outside. <laughs> yeah. And, and you might want to spend some time. But otherwise, it's yeah, it's been miserable. It's been really, really warm. 104, 105. It's just been before heat so. index. Yeah, before heat index. That's just a straight temperature. I mean, I've been to Madrid in the desert in the summer, so I've been through hotter temperatures. It doesn't make this any more comfortable. It's still absolutely miserable to be walking around in this kind of heat. So, um, no games for me. I did get a decent amount of um, actual hobby in, though. Um, so, I actually, for this Invasion Kenosha, um, there is the ability to use monsters out of Storm of Magic. And so I thought it'd be fun to convert up a Famir Balefiend for my Ogre's Army. So I ended up getting a gift certificate from the last square. I won on their Facebook contest. So I used that to help me purchase a fine cast Firebelly. I used the body from the Firebelly, converted up um, the left hand and the right hand using the... Uh, magic staff from the changeling to be his like staff of pain as it's called and then put kind of a magic looking rock in his right hand as his focus of power then i scratch built a head which to be honest didn't turn out amazing but it did turn out with one eye so it should be pretty recognizable as a bale fiend or as paul's face yes or as my face exactly most people don't know this but i only have one eye directly in the center of my forehead not really so then I also um, used some gray stuff to make a cloak for the mini, and that was my first time doing that. And so that ended up looking reasonable, but not very good. But <laughs> it was my first attempt at any serious converting of a full model um, using cloth and the full uh, scratch-built head and all that kind of stuff. So I got that all assembled, ended up doing some sandpapering on the head to kind of get the shape a little bit more to what I wanted it to be. I uh, got it primed and actually in the last couple of days got it fully painted as well. So that was a success for me. I did not expect to be able to get that much work done. And I also, um, as I said before, I got an Arachnorok for my birthday. So that's my third Arachnorok. So I spent a decent amount of time cutting everything out of the sprue and then assembling that one as well. And I cut through the legs and repositioned it a whole lot. And it just, I really, really like the look of this one. I, the first one I assembled straight out of the box. The second one I assembled so that it's rearing up. And the third one I assembled so that it actually looks like it's running. And that looks, I'm, I'm pretty pumped with how it looks. So I'm kind of excited to start working on my Spider Rider army again. But we'll see if that happens. So there you go. That was my last two weeks in hobby. Wow. Almost motivated. <laughs> All right. Well, I think quick touch back to hobby goals from two episodes ago. Uh-huh. I think we both successfully made our hobby goals with getting painted armies to blood in the sun. Well, yeah. As far as getting a painted army there, I did succeed in that. However, as far as getting my display board done, that not at all. I worked on it, and I got it to a level that I was pretty happy with. And I went out to the store bought the largest container that I could find, and it still didn't fit. And it was already starting to fall apart from my touching it. So I just trashed the whole thing. Ended up just bringing my army without a display board. So that was sad, but I tried. 
failed, but I tried. So huh? well, the Conzi did manage to get all the dark elf stuff that he needed to get painted. Yes, he did. He got that done with a week to spare. Yeah. So I had time to go ahead and build the display board, mm-hmm. get my little name placard on there. Yep. And it turned out amazing. It was really nice. I was real happy with that. As far as a project that I've completed, that I've been very happy with, that's definitely one of the top ones I have done. Good. And it it really was pretty simple. I put up a full write-up on how I did the project and how to do one yourselves Mm -hmm. on the Wisco Dice forum so that other people... It's a nice step-by-step breakdown of what I... Not only the materials list, but what each at what each point I did. It's really simple. It's just a picture frame with a piece of plywood put cut, you know, cut and glued underneath. Covered it with sand, some paint and flock on the top of the sand. It really looked sharp mm-hmm. with the rest of my dark elves on there. The only thing I could really recommend to go over the top was that I wish I would have bought my frame a little bit larger. Not that I didn't have enough room for my army on this. But if I there have been a couple of 3K events in the in the Midwest, and if I want to take my Dark Elves to one of those, I'm going to be real hard pressed to get all of my Dark Elves on this frame, on and that's this display. So that's kind of an interesting point. Uh, something I've been struggling with. So uh, Blood in the Sun was 2400 point event. Uh, I think the last one we went to before that was Cheddar Bowl, and that was 2000 points. And then we're going to be going well, to Cheddar Bowl was 2200. 2200 with 400 or with. Was it 400 points allies or something like yeah. that? So, sorry, 2,600 points. And then um, this one we're going to next weekend is going to be 1,600 points. And then we're going to a tournament two weeks after that that's 1,000 points. And so in my head, I'm like, well, how do I make a display board for work for all those different numbers? And then you came up with a really nice solution to work for everything up to about 2,400 points for your army. I probably could get a few. I could eke out a few more points on there. Like I had the... On my display board for Blood in the Sun, I have this fairly nice cauldron of blood that mm-hmm. I, I use. I made the display board kind of with that in mind so that I could sit it on the board, but I could easily take that out, and that frees up a lot of space to put some additional models so I could put on like a Dragon Rider or maybe another small unit or a couple chariots or something like that I could add to that to put in. You know, I could get another two or three or 400 points on that board. I can get a 3K army on there. It's just going to be tight. And the problem with me is that I don't really want to have a display board that's just kind of a basic gra- uh, drop. So I put stuff on top of it. Yours looks great. Don't get me wrong. That's not at all something that I think is subpar. Uh, but in my head for this army, I want it to be more of a fully integrated board. So there's actually terrain around the actual movement trays themselves. And so it looks like it's integrated into the board instead of just simply sitting on a piece of a piece of wood or uh, flocked anything. So... That's really where my frustration came in is that I want to be I want it to be something that everybody everything fits into the board instead of sits on the board. And I realize that's a pretty one of the large real thing, problems but, with that mm-hmm. and you're gonna and I think this will work against you is that when you have the slots for your units mm-hmm. to actually cut into the board that you don't have flexibility to change your list at all. Mm-hmm. And a guy like you who wants to change your list all the time Mm-hmm. That's not gonna help you at all. You're gonna be frustrated with that board, and that's you're why you're gonna take it to like one, maybe two events, and you're gonna be like, "Oh man, I just don't want to play this army because I can't display my army on the board correctly, and or I don't have room now for this other unit I want to take because I don't have a hole cut out on the board for it." 
And that's why part of me is thinking I might just use my extra uh, piece from the Roma battle board and just paint it up to look like the army and use that. Somebody did use that this last weekend, and it, it looked really nice. So I think I'm just going to go ahead and use that solution to my issue. So we kind of gotten off topic here a little bit talking about display boards. But going on the topic of display boards, uh, one of the things I'd recommend is, for especially when your first or second display board, mm-hmm. keep it simple. Yeah. yeah, there's the old kiss statement. Keep it simple, stupid. Keep it keep it that way. That way, you have a lot of flexibility, probably, with the board further down the road. Mm-hmm. And then when you've really, how many games have you had with that ogre army? You know, never with the same list. Actually, I've played sixteen with the same list. Six- I've just added in stuff or taken out stuff based on the point limit. So, but that's not the same list. That's different I, points limits. Well, for yeah, that's true. So I mean, it's pretty much the same stuff. It's the same foundation, but you're mm-hmm. you're adjusting for points, and all of a sudden, that's oh, maybe that's the third unit of Mornfang in this are in the, you know this time, and maybe this time that's the oh crud, I've got two less ogres. Well, that's probably not such a big deal, but mm-hmm. you see where I'm coming from, especially like oh hey, that's a whole unit of models now that I can't put on the table. Yeah, that's a real suffrage. You know, for a board like what you had in mind, whereas if you keep it simple, stupid, mm-hmm. <laughs> you have that flexibility. Like mm-hmm. even if you look at like Johnny's, you know, like look at like Johnny's or the Rogers boards, yeah. they you know they have these very awesome looking boards. Domus's board was kind of that way. Uh, mm-hmm. Greg Person's board was that way. Uh, yeah, that's true. You know, Jen Person's board was that way. Mm-hmm. Very awesome scenic type boards. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, Greg's goes even to that much further with like that terror geist on the tower. Yeah, it's very scenic boards, but they're nice, simple. They, they kept it simple. They didn't cut in the units. I remember talking to Mike Butcher out of Point, mm-hmm. and he, if you remember, he had his ogre army was yep. all cut out Nurgle like that. Army. Yeah, and then when he did his Nurgle army, if you remember, it didn't have cuts in the board. I didn't uh, no, I didn't know that. And that I think that anyways that it was the case. But I remember talking to him very specifically about that mm-hmm. and he said he I can remember having the conversation about you know, him being irked that he the army doesn't look right when I have to change up the points values because I have to take things out and now mm-hmm. it doesn't sit on the display board in the way I envisioned it or pictured it when I made the list and made all the, the holes to put the units. All right. Well, cool. I, I so think that long, might be enough talk about display boards at long, this point, but good point. Long uh, diversion off the thing. <laughs> I'll just go ahead and quick uh, recap my my hobby stuff otherwise that I've done. Mm-hmm. I've continued a pretty strong effort on the Dark Elves since the, trying to get them go, ready to go for Blood in the Sun. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I took away, I think, from my appearance score at Blood in the Sun and one that I was aware of going in and was hoping they wouldn't quite catch was that none of my core plastics really have any advanced skills. It's rarely just a single coat of paint Mm -hmm. on every area. There's a lot of diverse paint, but it's a lot of single coats of paint. Mm -hmm. There's some mix. I I do a mixed metallic-y, sparkly purple for the armor, and maybe a little bit of wash and touch of highlighting on flesh tones, but really it's very basic paint job Mm -hmm. 101 on, on that. I do paint in the symbols on the shields, but, mm-hmm. you know, just freehand that. But that's, it really isn't that spectacular. And I think they caught it. And I think that's where I lost points in my appearance scoring versus some of the, you know, I think that I could have picked up four to eight points there that I didn't pick up. 
Yeah. And so I'm going back and I had been wanting to add more like cro- I wanted to get more crossbows assembled. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go, you know, for the base core elves. I want to get new spearmen made and I want to get them to I want to I've ha- I've added uh dark maroon red like a blood red to my purple mm-hmm. which I think looks really good on like my black guard and such, but I don't have any of my core plastics have that. Mm-hmm. So my goal is now to go back and, and do some new models to replace some of those old units. Yeah. With the new cut, co- that little bit of a change in my overall color scheme on those models, and then work in more advanced techniques for shading, blending, highlighting to, to give those models more pop on the table. And also, then as I'm putting these together, I'm putting them together with that with more of an appearance in mind to try to get a little bit more conversion into some mm-hmm. of the models. Like the standard for my new repeater crossbowman unit is a bit converted mm-hmm. and there's a little more, I think it's going to look much better than my old unit. So it'll well, take great. a little time. It's not like I'm putting in the same kind of time I've put in on the Beastman models, mm-hmm. but it's definitely a, a huge step in the, in the, in the positive direction for appearance scoring. And I'm very happy with it. I really one of that was another one of the things that kept me from playing my dark elves. This is kind of like meh about a large chunk of it. You know, all my core was kind of meh. I knew it was kind of meh. Yeah, it looks good, and don't get me wrong, none of it doesn't look good. It's just that it's from where I'm at currently. I thought it was there's a huge gap between mm-hmm. like the black guard and my witch elves that I had done, and some of the new character models I had done, mm-hmm. and a lot of the old models that were some of the first additions to when I started really bulking up the force. Yeah. And painting my bail fiend really, I, I was excited to kind of paint it up also just to have a test model that if it looked completely different from the rest of my army, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Uh, and I wanted to try out a couple of different paint schemes and I was really happy with the bone color that I've got. I, I think I could probably even push a little bit farther. Again, I'm having problems with my skin tone. I just, I look look at it, and when I'm painting it, it looks really, really nice and really, really full. And then when I get done painting it, it's all settled down, and it just doesn't look like it has the detail and the effort. Like, I put 15, 16 coats of paint on this thing, and it just doesn't look like it. So I'm going to have to figure out a way to get a color scheme that I'm really happy with to finish the paint on my ogres, because I think that's one of my, one of my goals is to get a nice highlighted and also kind of light, color scheme on the skin of my ogres and i might just have to suck it up and go paint the same level of detail on it and the same color scheme that i have on my slaughter master which i i really like but i, I initially thought was going to be way too light for the rest of my army because yeah, everything your, is in a darker color very dark well and that's why i tried to get the skin tone on the bale fiend to get up to a higher level so instead of highlighting it up to um the darker brown, which I can't think of it right now, but more of a chocolate brown. Then I've, I've highlighted it up from there into a bestial brown, and that's still just not popping the way I want it to. It looks really natural. It looks really like a skin tone, but you have to have direct light on it to really see it, and that's obviously not a good thing to have for in an the, army in, in dark tournament hall. In so. that case, well, not just that case, but in that case, the direct light is also providing a bit of highlighting because mm-hmm. when you look at something in nature, now we're again off topic, but <laughs> I think that's going to be kind of the theme of the show here so far. And it's been a while since we've gotten together and done a full show. So. Exactly. I mean, we're not drunk. Well, so that's kind of new, but All right. so <laughs> when you, when you're painting like that, the kind of the thing that I find is that you you paint, I paint my highlights up to, 
like a light, really light gray or a white. Yeah. And when you look at something naturally, like if you go outside in an outdoor light and you look at mm-hmm. like somebody's T-shirt. Yeah. Say I had a black T-shirt on. Mm-hmm. And you look at it, there's spots on it that look that under, you know, in the daylight will look very bright, almost yeah. almost to a white almost because the way the way the light hits it. Mm-hmm. So painting your model that way, it looks a little unnatural when you're looking at it close sometimes, mm-hmm. but when you look at it at the three foot distance, it doesn't look unnatural. Yeah. And if it looks unnatural at the three foot distance, you the you know what the real quick fix for that is? Just give it a wash. Just give it a wash. Yeah, and, that, and that's part of the thing is my whole demon army has fourteen to fifteen coats of paint on every single model, and then I gave it a wash and it just disappeared. It looks like I put like two coats of paint on it. And, and the other thing is, so, when you're putting fourteen or fifteen coats. If you're painting it straight out of the pot, 14 or 15 coats is a bad, bad thing. And that's not at all what I'm doing. I'm actually using a mixing palette and mixing and in water. Adding and, some water. And that's and that's exactly what I mean, I know we're talking and 14 or 15 co- yeah. coats. We're talking thinner coats, not thick out-of-the-pot coats. Well, you know what? Talking about this reminds me that that's one of the things on our list to get to another painting cast. I think we're going to have to get to that pretty soon. I think we'll we'll save a little bit more of this specific talk for that. I think that pretty much sums up what we've done. I well, mean, no, other no. Things we've done. Let's say that you definitely did a lot in the hobby that was absolutely nothing to do with miniatures here in this room. Well, yeah, I painted the studio. That was I mean, this room was originally painted for like little kids <laughs> from the previous homeowners. So there was like little planes and whatever on the border up on the house and or up on the walls, and it was. The room was painted like in pastel blues and yellows and stuff. It was, it looked nice, but since I don't have any children, it it was really kind of a pointless room. And when the roommate moved out and we now have my house all to myself, it was, ah, spare bedroom. I'm going to paint it up and we're going to turn it into the new recording studio. So yeah, we're just getting some furnishings in here and, and when we get the new mixer and We'll start buying a few new mics and things like that to hopefully adjust and fix a little few of the sound quality issues that we've had and and get just a permanent setup that we will have all of our gear set up where we don't have to, every time we record, it'll just be so much nicer. We just sit down and record where we won't have to fine-tune or tweak or mm-hmm. or adjust things. Yeah, that'll be great. Multi-track so. recording. It'll be amazing. It'll be, there'll be <laughs> there's, there's some huge things coming for the show, so... All right, cool. Well, I think uh, this will be a good time to take a break, and we'll come back with you in just one minute. And in this corner, we have PJ Shard, otherwise known as Paul Wagner, otherwise known as Withco Dice. And in this corner, we have Ben Cohn, otherwise known as Dugan Brydax. And it's going to be the final of century here in Madison, Wisconsin, for Extra Life on October 20th, only available on pay-per-view. Pay-per-view? Yeah, you, you got to donate to Extra Life, otherwise there's no way that this fight of the century is going to happen. It's going to be me and Ben, and we're going to be end up playing a game at 21 hours of being awake of Warhammer, and we're going to record it live. Well, we'll record it, and then we'll play it back for you unedited, but only if we get our donation goals met. 
before October 20th. Yeah, that's right. We're going to be a part of Team Cranky for ExtraLife.com. So you can access us by finding us on ExtraLife.com. And remember, all those proceeds are going to go to charity. Be there! And we is back. And we're back. Hello. Thank you very much for joining us once again here on Wisco Dice. Okay. All right. So uh, we are going to talk about comp, I believe. Is that going to be correct? I believe that's that's up next on our docket. Composition, as it were. I will preface this conversation with uh, composition, obviously, is up to the tournament organizer. Everyone has the completely free will to decide to go to a tournament or not based on the composition that has been offered. Uh, there have been situations where I might not have gone or might have gone simply because of the composition scoring. Now, I will also note that if I have gone to a tournament, obviously I approve of the composition scoring. Otherwise, I would not be going. So we'll head, o- head over and just kind of give that preface before we start having this conversation because... Number one, this is not at all about bashing a tournament that we have been to or any kind of other thing like that. This is much more of an actual discussion about comp and in and of itself in the internet and all that kind of thing. Sum up what Paul just said with, we at Wisco Dice do not direct the following comments at any one or any specific event that has been ran either, either recently or far in the past. Exactly. So don't take it that way, chumps. Moving on. What is composition, Ben? Composition is an attempt to go ahead and adjust the rules that are being used for an event based on personal feelings and or you know, of either oneself or a group of individuals regarding the feel of trying to give or add additional balance to the game. To a game. So why the heck would Warhammer Fantasy need to have that? There is a definitive feel that Warhammer Fantasy is not a balanced game. That there is a decisive difference between somebody that, say, plays Ogres and somebody that plays Tomb Kings in game balance. So basically what you're saying is that Instead of when two players rock up to the table with two different armies, it's 50% chance of winning on either side. It's going to be, there's maybe a 40% chance of winning for one opponent and a 60% chance of winning for another opponent. Does that kind of sum it up? Mm, I wouldn't quite put it in terms like that, but I would say that Is that the basic idea? There's a definite feel of imbalance, and particularly with the example I use, that Ogres are a very strong and very forgiving army, whereas Tomb Kings are very difficult to use and unforgiving army. I will also say that this was far more prevalent in 7th edition, at least here in the U.S., than it is in 8th edition. I, uh, I think I think across the world, I think that that would be a very safe statement. I think there was, at, at the end of 7th edition, if you weren't playing one of the big three, if you weren't playing Dark Elves, Demons, or Vampire Counts, mm-hmm. and you were showing up to a tournament, your chances of being at the top tables weren't very high. It was definitely very easy to win games. All right. Well, there's the background of composition. If you've never heard of it before, never played under it. Uh, and like I said, it's something that was very prevalent previously. And it's kind of become a discussion with 8th edition because a lot of the imbalances haven't been taken away necessarily, but they, number one, have definitely been shifted from what they were before. And number two, 
they are much smaller in imbalance a ratio between the good and the bad armies than they were in seventh edition. Would that be a fair assessment, Ben? I, I certainly think that eighth ed as a rule set brought the game far more into balance than any previous rule set for Warhammer has. Just simply by allowing more of your miniatures to do mo- to take more actions, whereas in previous editions of Fantasy, so very few of the miniatures you put on the table truly did things. Had an effect while on so game. many of the miniatures that you put on the table mm-hmm. were really just kind of there to f- and to, to make, make sure it that look you got pretty. rank bonuses and <laughs> things like that, and that played serious advantage differences so would this be a correct or an incorrect statement eighth edition warhammer is not completely balanced from army to army i i I would say that's very i in my opinion that's very accurate all right Uh, i would have to agree i I don't think that there's anybody who's going to say that tomb kings for example which is considered to be one of the, the lowest games in the warhammer meta at the moment is the equal of an ogre army, an average Tim King's army against an over average ogre army. The ogres will probably win. Obviously there's all kinds of other things that enter into this discussion that really muddy the waters, but are real factors. The, the generalship of the person who's playing obviously is going to make a difference on whether or not an ogre army is going to have as much of an effect on the game itself and who wins and who loses. I think that's an obvious statement. Uh, there also is going to be a difference on the internal balance of the book um, which is what comp is also about, and what choices that people have made within that book itself. So, I mean, you're never really going to be able to make sure that something is equal statistically versus one army versus another. And there's also, of course, that rock, paper, scissors effect in Warhammer Fantasy where if you bring one army, if you bring ogres and somebody's got an army that really, really does well against leadership-based tests. So, for example a Slanesh demonet horde uh, on Demons of Chaos Slanesh list, they're going to have a hard time dealing with that because ogres are very low on leadership and that's one of their main weaknesses. So being able to manipulate the ogre army is going to make for a harder game It's in and of itself. Is that a fair assessment? Is that a pretty good basis for what we're talking about here? Yeah, I think some of that is, yeah. So putting all that generalship, all that rock, paper, scissors aside... I think it's pretty obvious that there are books that are imbalanced. And there's so many different styles of composition out there, aren't there, Ben? There are a number of different styles of composition. There's like army-specific comp. There's definitely a mm-hmm. like player-judged comp. There's judge-based comp where it's more... I did like a... Like last year at Mayhem, I did a judge-based comp where I just kind of looked at lists and tried to... Grade them on sort of a bell curve. And anytime you bring up a conversation about composition, I think you're automatically going to have to go to the ETC if you you know what that is. Uh, ETC is a tournament called the European Team Championship. And what they do is they bring tournament players from literally all over the world. There's an American team. uh, There's obviously tons of European teams, even sometimes several from each country. So it really is a huge tournament. And the ETC has a committee and this committee sits down and they look at the balance in an army book. They look at the balance between army books and they look at the balance over Warhammer as a whole. And they come up with a series of restrictions, uh, their own style of composition. And so these restrictions can be 
as simple as, um, you know, so for an iron blaster, we think that's a really powerful weapon, the iron blaster for the ogres. Uh, it's a cannon. You get to roll 2d6 or two artillery dice, so it automatically bounces a little bit farther than a standard cannon. Cannons already are a pretty powerful tool. So the ETC said, you know what? Iron blasters, because they're a chariot and a cannon, we're going to say instead of you being able to take two of those, which under the rules for the game of Warhammer is allowed because it's a rare choice, we're going to say that's a zero to one option. So you can take none if you want to, or you can take up to one iron blaster. You cannot take that second one. We don't allow that to be played in our tournaments. Two, I have seen also the restrictions, for example, on Dark Elves. They say you can take two of these three items, like the Pendant of Caliph, the Sacrificial Dagger, um, and uh, a Dreadlord on a Pegasus, something like that. And they'll say, you know what, you can have two of these in your army, but you can't have the third. And we're also going to say you can't have them on the same character. Because that's just a combination that's really very, very powerful, which I think, Ben, you would have to agree that that's a pretty powerful combination when you start getting all those things well, together. Pendant and Sack Dagger on L4 is really strong. But even then, you could live without the Pendant on. on exactly. Uh, and so what they do is they look at the books and they say, well, you can live without having to have this in this army. And that's not going to make this army any less powerful realistically or more realistically, it will bring this army book into line with what we feel is the power level of the other army books. And obviously, this is a huge discussion. I, I think, Ben, you would agree that this is a very large topic to come with because you have to do the intra-army book balance, the inter-army book balance, and then the whole system as a whole. It's a really big thing to comprehend and to know all these rules and be able to seriously evaluate the value of certain things. Is that a fair statement? When you chew it over by army book, by unit selection, by magical item selection, that becomes a very large topic because of the mm -hmm. number of army books that are out there and in production currently. Correct. At the moment, it's 15. As well as all of the different variants and how that can kind of tweak in a list. And, and I think at some level... No matter what the rule set is, and this is, an, I think I'm deviating from where we are in this conversation to touch, but at some level, you look at these options as a player, and no matter how it ends up being kind of laid out, you find, or you try to find the soft spot in your lists, mm -hmm. irregardless of the comp system that's being used, whether it's straight out, flat out, use it as it's written, as the company provided it, or if you're using something that's as extensive as, say, the ETC comp. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and it kind of is an interesting issue because I bring up Blood in the Sun simply because the guy who won Blood in the Sun, Brian Moyer, is an ETC player from the U.S. So the army list that he was playing with was an ETC comp-based list. He had... Uh, uh, none none of the multiples of the bad stuff in the ogre book. Uh, so he didn't have the triple mourn thing. He didn't have the double iron blaster. He didn't have the iron gut horde. He had restrictions on his list based on the ETC comp. And the question really comes into very stark contrast when you realize he came to a tournament that literally had no composition. Yes, you could have taken a penalty for how balanced your list was, but there were no restrictions on what you could bring. So I brought Triple Mornfang, Double Iron Blaster, and an Ogre Horde. 
Now, he won this tournament using, let's be honest, a handicapped list versus people who were playing without handicapped lists whatsoever. Um, for example, Topher was playing with uh, the Chaos Dwarf list, with the uh, Iron Demon and the Kadai Destroyer and all that kind of stuff. He had all the toys. And Brian Moyer is obviously an excellent general. He ended up winning the tournament, and he ended up giving a great game to every one of his opponents as well. And so there's also the question of, is there certain level of gameplay where it just makes sense for you to voluntarily do this kind of stuff to yourself, whether or not you need to or not? Or is it simply about playing the list as it was written and what is in the army book itself? So it's just a huge discussion. Well, I'm going to say that I don't feel that anybody handicapped themselves. I think that's a bad term. Okay, and why would you say that? Because you had... He still had the full run of the rulebook for the event. Whether he chose to take those selections or not, mm-hmm. I don't think that has a lot to do with it. I think it has, and this is something I've stated a lot on the show, is that repetition with your list, with the same list, the same model selection, the same unit selection, overcomes a lot of... You know, it helps you become comfortable playing the same stuff. So even if he he opened up himself to, oh, hey, I can actually take these other things, mm-hmm. because he plays in that rule set, that, e- that ETC rule set, because mm-hmm. he's in preparation for the ETC, taking those other units would have affected his gameplay because he would be playing with units he's not combinations of units that aren't what are in his normal I play this every time I play the game. So when his, his army book so that would actually set, by opening up the comp and allowing him to take those other choices, mm-hmm. I think, you know, might have handicapped himself from, you know, make he would have been in a position where he's playing things and he's in in situations where he's like, mm, oh wow, I got that extra cannon. Now whoo, that should be really good, but it would have worked against him. Mm-hmm. So I think if I make the statement from what I'm saying, you would say that this is incorrect and that he is a better player by taking an ETC comp list to a no comp tournament and winning. I don't say that either. I don't say that he's a better player because of that. I say that what I'm saying is that as you play this, as you build your list, and I talked about this when I was building my Beastmen, and as I've been building the Beastmen, as that I started out, I drew up a list and I played it the first five or six games were the same exact list. I made no changes to the list. Mm-hmm. Why did I do that? To get to know the actual because unit selection. To get to know themselves. the list, to get to comfortable with the models before I made a decision. I could have just played a game, mm-hmm. went, oh, my Jabber's Life was terrible this one game because somebody canned it off the table and never fielded it again. How much did I truly learn what that model does? Mm-hmm. And how much different was I as a general in that fifth or sixth game with the exact same list, the exact same unit choices mm-hmm. versus that first game? Okay. Um, it's just a certain level of comfortableness with your list and the models you have on the table. And as you play the same list and the same models over and over and over again, mm-hmm. you inherently become much more you – know, you see the game. The game slows down. We talk a lot about that in sports how the game slows down. I think that happens in Warhammer when you play the same list over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And so by taking opening up the comp to, like Brian, 
and allowing him to take all these additional unit selections, mm-hmm. if he would have done it, would have hurt him because he would have had options that he doesn't normally play with, and he would have been a little out of practice with that, and it would have opened it up for potential mistakes. Well, and there's, I think, a very valid point in this whole comp discussion is that there's a lot to be said for generalship, and there's a lot to be said for playing with your list as it is. And there are certain situations where if you're not playing with the most heavy comp that's available, you might have to take tools out of your list in order to play in a tournament or to play in a specific, um, even a league, uh, that kind of idea. So if you don't mind, I, I think that's a very valid point, but I'd like to kind of try and center it back a little bit more on composition uh, as a whole. Um, so it seems to me that in the United States in general, uh, from at least our meta in this area, composition is frowned on. Is that a true statement? I would say that we don't see a lot of comp in our events, mostly because it's hard for venues and organizers to really include comp and I don't think there's a lot of agreement in our local meta. When I say local I mean Midwest. Yeah, Midwest, Illinois, Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin. I don't think there's a lot of agreement. Ohio. <laughs> well, yeah, Ohio is enough of a push. I think they're outside of what really right. is our, our meta. But I think there's enough events mm-hmm. that nobody's in enough tournament different tournament organizers and nobody's really in agreement. And there, I know there's one group um, of guys that do events and tournaments. And I think it's some of it, too, comes from us. We host Adepticon as well, mm-hmm. since that being the biggest event, and there's no comp at Adepticon. And then you have this uh, pretty strong core group of guys that just kind of like, I get comp, I understand why you'd use comp, mm-hmm. but it's not really... The, the amount of work you have to get out of the net reward for mm-hmm. what happens with comp yeah. really isn't a huge gain. And until you get to like a system that really over-the-top judges comp, focuses like ET, on making like it balanced, yeah. comp, it's almost... It feels very... I think uh, this is a fair statement. Many people feel that composition is based on, I played against this, I didn't like it. I don't want to change my tactics. I just want it to go away. Yeah, well, you know, certainly you go back to that, bring it back to that comment about Brian Moyer at, at Blood and the Sun and him winning it with his ETC comp list. And now I, you turn around and take one of us in the Midwest who are very used to our uncomped lists. Mm-hmm. So maybe a double hydrant dark elf list with the L4 with Sack Dagger and Pendant and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, those kind of things. And you turn around and then throw us into a grand tournament that uses... In ETC Connecticut, comp. for example, or and Massachusetts that, out on the East Coast. All yeah. of a sudden, yeah, you know, that is a complete, you know, telling, oh, hey, I had, I had all my toys and this is what I was used to playing. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden you took my toys away. That is huge mm-hmm. because now all of a sudden I'm ta- you're taking that player out of their comfort level. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think there's also a certain aspect of because Brian Moyer brought an ETC list, he brought a couple things that people just haven't played against in the Midwest. I, I haven't seen uh, Stonehorns in general on the board. I've seen once or twice, but they're not included in every ogre army. And so even if you've played against ogres, you might not have played against a Stonehorn. 
And, and so because he's playing with a more balanced list that has more unit options available for him in his game, there also is the potential, I don't think it actually happened, but there is the potential for people who play against him to not know exactly how his list works because they've never played against certain units that he's using in his army. And yeah, I, think, I mean, yeah, it, it's some really of that, kind of, maybe, but I, I've, I've seen those kind of models on the board and other events. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but seeing them is different than playing against them, I think, is on, the only point I'm trying to make. So, and, and, and obviously, we're talking about the ETC, we're talking about the European Team Championships. In Europe, comp is definitely heavily used, to my knowledge. I wouldn't there say are, that. I mean, like, you, you look at, like, the South Coast GT, their mm-hmm. compact is very light. Well, yes, but they do use comp. Yeah, but it's very light. Well, it's, I completely it's agree. It's almost non-comp. They just, t- they just gimp a few of the big spells mm-hmm. and grant, like, lookout sirs, I think. there's. It, I'd have to look expe- specifically. I don't want to speak on south coast gt comp because i don't i don't use it i haven't played it and i haven't read up on it but i do understand that it's much it's a very light compact well in yeah i agree whereas etc comp is a very very strict compact but the meta what i was kind of trying to make the point as is that the meta in europe is much more broken down because of language barriers to much more localized areas so england will have their own kind of set of comp i know that the south coast gt sets their comp a lot and that's obviously a huge tournament there and a lot of other tournaments will use the south coast gt as their model for a comp some other tournaments will use the etc as their model for comp but if you go to spain they're not going to have access to the south coast gt unless they want to actually go through a bilingual and sometimes they'll have a completely different environment i know i've heard specifically in the netherlands and in sweden they have much more heavily comped tournaments at least they did in the past and so their meta is completely based around this very heavily comped system. And so the question, I think, really comes to, I think we've both admitted that Warhammer is not balanced, but is comp necessary? Does it add anything to the game? I mean, it certainly it certainly gives people who want to take those armies that feel less competitive mm-hmm. and gives you the warm fuzzy that you, oh hey i have a more of a running shot or or that my chances are to be on the top tables are far more evened up mm-hmm. with other people that are going to be on those top tables but i don't know me personally i don't know that comp is a, ne- a necessary evil and i think part of that comes from just the local meta that i'm in mm-hmm. i certainly don't like comp there the only comp systems if i think if you're going to use comp you have to have a comp system that's either fairly minimal, that it doesn't impact the game very much, but it's entirely clear-cut in the rules pack that you're going to get mm-hmm. uh, when you go to the event. Or you have to have a comp pack, you know, and then it specifies, that like, oh yeah, no tech list, no... Uh, maybe uh, no all the... Like, yeah. when, if you get pitishated or you get... Uh, dwellers, you get a, you get a lookout, you get a lookout sir, sir that on kind your of characters yeah. or whatever for it. Okay, that's fine in the compact. If, mm-hmm. And if that's spelled out in the compact and you know it's part of the tournament pack, well, and then that's fine. Yeah. you know for for the event, mm-hmm. I don't like. Um, or if you have like a, a compact that says as stringent as say the etc comp, those are fine mm-hmm. because yeah. it spells out. Uh, you know, in my mind, it spells out all the options and non options that I can do. Right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And that, and that for me, actually sounds like you're kind of on my side where I don't have a problem with having comp based on anything. I prefer to have comp that I can look at and say, this is how my list is going to work. 
before I write up my list and before I submit my list for a tournament. Does that feel true for you as well? I, I think so. And then, then it, but because it also allows me to look at the compact and honestly go, oh, this event's really going to hinder what I enjoy playing. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't want to attend that. As much as I'd like to attend as many events as I can, mm-hmm. just because most of the time I'm going to events to hang out with buddies and, mm-hmm. you know, well, and I think have that's, a good time. Yeah. But, you know, and the game is secondary. There's certainly, you know, if if the compact is going to make the games, like I, I took Dark Elves to Blood in the Sun versus my Orcs and Goblins mm-hmm. because I just wasn't enjoying my compact for the Orcs and Goblins was what I had painted. Yep. And I wasn't enjoying playing what I had painted. Mm-hmm. So I, and I didn't have the motivation to paint up another 50 Orcs. Well, so yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I took the Dark Elves to this event because it was, you know, a list that I was going to be comfortable with and play and have fun mm-hmm. with playing all my games. And I had fun with all my games. The event was great. If I went to an event where the compact said, and I looked at the compact and it says, oh, you can't take a unit of 50 Savage Orcs. Mm-hmm. And that's what I had in my Orcs and Goblins list. And that's what made me, that's what makes me enjoy my games. Yeah. I might go, yeah, I don't want to go to this event because the compact says, no, I can't have it. Well, and that brings up kind of an interesting point as well. Uh, there, Obviously, you and I are kind of lucky people when it comes to owning miniatures. We really have such a var- wide variety and selection of miniatures that we can pretty much field whatever we want to at any point. And there are situations where a more heavily comp tournament might require someone to not be able to play simply because they don't have the painted models and the time to get them painted. Do you think that's a fair statement? I, I think that's fair. I don't. I don't argue with that. I certainly. It, if you have, if your local meta, in your geographical little area has say ten or fifteen different tournaments over the course of the year, and those tournaments vary dramatically in the compacts that they use, where mm-hmm. one might say you can't have units more than. 350 points in size where another one might say you can't have units on the table more than 600 points in size mm-hmm. or more than 50 models or you might have you know various you know various other restrictions all oh, this compact says i can't have two hydras this compact says i can mm-hmm. and all that you know that requires you to you know if you want to take different lists to change your list to meet all these different compacts, mm-hmm. you might get real frustrated with that because you have to own an extra two thousand point, you know, a thousand or two thousand points of models just so you can, you know, it's one thing to have to go from you talked about like when we started this section all the different point sizes mm-hmm. for games for tournaments we've been been at, you know, two thousand points. 2,400 with 400 points of allies, 2,400 points, 1,600, and then 1,000. And then 3,000, and then then we're going to have a 3,000 one after that. That's a lot of variance just in points. Then you turn around and throw different compacts at that. Mm -hmm. That's kind of, you know, that would be really rough to try to keep up with. Well, and especially if you think about it uh, based on the fact that most of the composition bases on those big models that will be 300 points or 200 points. 200 points of infantry is a whole lot harder to paint up than one model. Yes, yes, my precious, my precious. You're 
precious what? My precious everything. My Warhammer, my 40K, Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic cards. You can find them all at Misty Mountain Gaming. Really? Yeah, Misty Mountain Gaming, located on Cottage Grove Road in Madison, Wisconsin. They have pretty much everything you can imagine for gaming in Madison. Okay, so if I just run down to Misty, I can pick up all sorts of good stuff? Oh yeah, board games, everything. And I hear they have the largest gaming space in Madison, too. So if I need to run an event there, I could get all the space I need, huh? Oh yeah, Misty Mountain Games on Cottage Grove Road. Alright, well I think I'll jet out to Misty right about now. Sounds good. Hey, folks, we is back. Uh, yeah, we are. This is actually, we are back because we had audio issues with the second portion of our... Episode 15. Uh, our main topic conversation, so we're recutting that today. Yep. There's also... Uh, this will be... You guys really wouldn't know it, but we cut this with our new mixer, so there's a, just a bit of a change in the audio quality. So for those of you that are catching this, guess what? You're going to really look forward to the audio quality I think you're going to hear in episode 16. Exactly. Uh, and there is one more person here. Mr. Robert Elmer is here, who wasn't here during the recording of episode 15, but he might appear. So just be aware, there is a third voice. It's time travel all over again. Yeah, that, we're... We're really I kind of. I mean, as long as we don't actually have a TARDIS here, we can't really <laughs> be Doctor Who. But I kind of get that feeling, you know. Yep. Sonic so, screwdriver. So where were we? Oh, I think we were talking about comp. Uh, specifically, I think we were kind of talking a little bit now about comp restrictions and potentially impacting whether or not a player can play in a tournament. And I think this might be something that could be a more of a U.S. versus U.K. difference just simply because we have few players in the U.S. So even having one player not be able to go because of the comp restrictions for a fully painted tournament don't allow them to feel the unit that they typically field. That really can be a situation where time is of the essence. And because somebody doesn't have time to get another unit painted up, they might have to choose not to attend the tournament simply because they don't have the painted models. And Ben, I, I, I believe you uh, you disagreed with me on that point. I believe I, I did. I think... Uh, Vociferously. I don't know that I, I disagree with the comp being a, oh, hey, this compact says that I'm, I can't take what I normally have, and so that's now an excuse for me not to go to the tournament... Mm -hmm. rather it's more of a decision you know my personal take is on on painting and getting things painted you know for a tournament it is a decision you need to if, if you make that you're like hey i need to get a unit done to complete the list the way i want to play it under this rules pack that i need to manage my time accordingly to get it done mm -hmm. and most people say oh hey i didn't have time to get this done when in reality it was well did you catch that movie did you catch did you watch the tv you know you could have managed your time and knew a lot better what was coming up especially since most of these events that have compacts like this that are restrict more a little bit more restrictive compacts mm -hmm. are bigger two day events that they're announced two three I mean if you caught the other day on Twitter Blood in the Sun three was announced roughly tentatively what the dates are mm -hmm. for those of us that want to know you know what that is or when Rampage still used WPS. You knew almost a year out it's going to be sometime in May, most likely, and that it's going to be using this comp system so you're able to prepare for it. So, I mean, there is a lot of that. When you, when I, I, so I never want to use the argument of, oh, I didn't have time. It's more of, 
hmm, I just didn't want to prioritize my time to get that done because it wasn't important enough mm-hmm. to vo- override what else I had going on. The other thing is, with, with the exception of maybe some really new players, how many of us have one or two armies where we have... Let's say it's a 2,000 or 2,200-point tournament, but we probably enough stuff to do 2,800 or 3,000 so we can swap stuff out to fit the comp. And that was actually my exact point, was that it's more towards newer players who this might be the first tournament they're coming to. And they definitely could be under a time crunch because they painted for a tournament or they painted for a points level, and then they see the compact, and they're like, well, okay, it took me a year to get to this point. I don't think I'm going to have time in the next month to paint another unit to fill it. I don't think you're making a decision, though, to go to an event like this with a month's notice. And if you are, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you're going to be behind the time crunch. Yeah. Most events that are like this that have fairly extensive compacts, though, mm-hmm. They're full are by that full point. up well before there's a month to go. Fair point. Full up and a waiting list. Yeah. I mean, you look at, and that's from, you look at, you know, you look at events whether I can, I, and I know Paul loves to bring up the UK event, so let's go South Coast GT, mm-hmm. sold out in hours. Yeah, uh, a year in to, advance. You go to Blood in the Sun, that was sold out. Very quickly. You know, two or three months ahead of time. I mean, they were they were swapping in waiting list people. Yeah, sure, At the on the day of, they were five people short mm-hmm. of making their max, but... That was, you know, they were full up and had a waiting list for a month, month and a half. Wagpaka was the same way. I think longer. In fact, Dan signed up for Blood in the Sun, I think, in like in March, maybe. And he was on a waiting list. Yeah. Yep. Well, part of their waiting list was then they decided to get the, the once they made a certain point, they decided to open it up to additional people. Mm-hmm. You know, North Star is going to be that way. The big events that may include compacts tend to fill up fairly quick. All right. Well, that's, that's a valid point. Um, that's definitely a difference, I think. I don't think events that have extensive compacts mm-hmm. that may go, you go, oh, I can't, just can't field my unit or whatever. Those aren't one-day tournaments that you just show up and play right. for a day. Well, actually, I think it might be kind of our meta in the Midwest. that it, The comp is definitely frowned upon in general, and we do have very right now, limited comp right now. Uh, but I, I think if you were in New England, I don't think that that would necessarily be an issue because they have such a, a large contingent of their tournaments with ETC comp restriction. The, the only main comp thing I see right now in the Midwest is if we have a 3,000-point tournament like Rampage or Screw mm-hmm. Cities, we don't use the Grand Army rules. Or no special characters, you know, yeah, stuff those, like those that. Those are about the two main things. Mm-hmm. But one other thing is I would like to point out with some of these tournaments, let's Paul, let's assume you were a little bit newer. You didn't have all the armies you did. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes Dan, I've offered Dan, who's to say you couldn't go, hey, Bob, I need this unit of plague bearers mm-hmm. to round out my list. Or I need, you know, three bases of nurglings to finish up my list. Yeah. In our clubs, how, granted, it might tank your paint score depending on how they do it. But how many people are able to probably borrow something if they need it? Mm-hmm. Certainly, that's another option for those players that are new players, and that's that actually isn't something we brought up. Yeah, when we had the poor audio, was hey, if you're if you're not ha- if if it's a compact issue that you're a new guy coming up, you've been playing games with a group of people. There's a lot of clubs and whatever you can always borrow from a clubmate or a mm-hmm. or another player in your player group if you're needing to, or you can even a lot of these events even have some kind of forum that you can go and discuss the event mm-hmm. you can just post on the forum hey somebody willing to bring me a blankety blank because i can't get it done because i can't you know i'm i i'm just getting in now 
those are options. I mean, that, and that's off the topic of comp, but those are all options for those players. All right. Uh, well, let's kind of move on here to uh, the more positive comp environment. I know at Invasion Kenosha, you were allowed to bring options from the Storm of Chaos magic list if mm-hmm. you use the Indie GT uh, list uh, restrictions. So a lot of that was only one of each option, and it was only aligned to specific armies. Right. Or, for example, Cheddar Bowl, where you are required to bring 300 points of allies in order to play in the tournament. And that's kind of an interesting situation as well, because that's a situation where composition is actually giving you more options as opposed to giving you less mm-hmm. options. Uh, so what's your feeling on that, Ben? What's kind of about those tournaments really? Well, I'm, I'm not a fan of Storm of Magic, so those inclusions aren't necessarily things I'm key on. But I certainly liked having the allies for Cheddar Bowl. That was really neat. And I guess I'm not I'm not against the Storm of Magic stuff either being included. And it worked out well at Invasion Kenosha, but I'm just not a fan of that, that whole book. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I had noticed, I might have grabbed my Greater Spine Chaos piece. Mm-hmm. But other than that... Yeah, but that's not in the... Or is that in the rules? I think that was one of the ones that was allowed for Warriors. That's right. I ended up including my Dark Emissary in my list. Only after converting up a Famir Balefian for about 10 hours and finding out that I couldn't play it. So Awesome. So <laughs> that's a story the for the next show, episode. You'll find out what he's planning, and now in the middle of the show, you'll find out what actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll talk about it on the next episode. This is totally time travel. Yeah, I mean, adding things to the, you know, adding additional solution units or troops mm-hmm. to a list, to your, you know, to be available for you to take. I think that adds something to the game. I don't think, I think that goes into, again, that if I change up my list too much, mm-hmm. too dramatically, if I start playing with things that are outside of what I'm normally used to playing, yeah, that it may hurt me in the long run mm-hmm. to include those because those are things I'm not used to and they may open me up to making mistakes because I, I might think that unit XYZ that I now have in, you know, available on my list can do a little bit more than what it is, than what it's capable of. Yeah, and that fits in really well with the conversation we had earlier in this episode about Brian Moyer on using ETC restrictions when he's playing in a non-ETC comp event. So the next kind of short little topic I, I would like to move on to is do players who are tournament players solve comp already? I, I know that Domus has said multiple times that only noobs play net lists, and he likes seeing a net list because it's really easy to beat. And so experienced tournament players, is that something that you think you share that sentiment or something you disagree with? I I uh, don't know. I'm kind of in between there. I don't think I I self-comp, I think you could call it maybe self-comping, that I restrict myself maybe not to take the double hydra or not to take certain things that seem kind of easy button because it makes the game a little too easy or maybe – Maybe the selections become a little like, oh, you, you're playing that, really? Yeah. And I and I don't play the game for that or about that. I play the game to have – I try to have fun first and win second. But, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not out to play all-out win. I'm not out to play that, like, the nastiest comb- combination in my list to win. I know there's players out that do that, and that's – Okay, that's cool. I mean, that's the rules are the rules, and if you're playing within the rules for whatever event, and it's a tournament, I expect people to bring 
that tough stuff. To an extent, I might even look at, oh, hey, you brought this really tough Uber combination. Yeah, sure, you had a better record at that event than I did, but you brought the net list or you brought something really ridiculous. I think you, uh, I think you had a much easier time than it. So I, I, at least in my mind, I can self feel better about myself. Maybe if I did, if I didn't do as well and I was, and I thought I was a better player. Well, and to be honest, I think that fits into the conversation really well because a lot of more experienced tournament players have a certain amount of pride in their ability as a general. Right. And so if they were to take a net list, they feel like they would be kind of cheating themselves out of that earned victory should they win the tournament. Right. And there's even ways that you might build a strong list, but you might make, I don't want to say compromise, but there may be things you... Like when I was playing my VC in 8th edition again, mm-hmm. yes, I had the regen graveguard, but my core had no ghouls. And yeah. everybody was saying, you need the ghouls, you need the ghouls. I'm like, no, I don't like them. Well, I mean, it goes even, you can even take the uh, recent Garage Hammer, White, Dave Whitek off of Garage Hammer, taking the Coven Throne mm-hmm. to Blood in the Sun. Right, definitely. You know, and Dave, by his own, own admission, is not going to be a top table player. If you, I mean, if you asked him any day of the week, he's just, he's just going to tell you. But he did this to take on, you know, to prove a point that, hey, this might not be the optimized net list. But this can be really fun and can be played really well. And he did it. He demonstrated that very well at Blood in the Sun. I definitely at least agree. I thought yeah. so. Mm-hmm. He did well. I thought. Yeah. I mean, he didn't. He didn't win anything big, and he didn't lose anything big. He was a very middle. I mean, I think he said he never. The whole event, he never lost more than like a thousand, thousand victory points or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think was, every all his games were really tight. Between I mean, seven, you'd have to listen to that episode of Garage Hammer when he recaps that. But yeah, I think he beat Dan pretty good. No, Corn Demons. It was only I think he said he went from a seven thirteen or a twelve eight flip flopped on either side. Yeah. It really was not that big of a difference, but. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting thing, and I think it leads as well into our final topic here, which is player-based comp. So when you have the experienced generals already kind of comping themselves by taking suboptimal choices or making up their own lists that will become the net list, uh, that kind of has an interesting experience when you come up against player-based comp because something that a player might look at it and say, this looks like an easy list, ends up playing against it and being like, wow, this list absolutely destroyed me. Is that something that you can be objective about after the game? I think it kind of goes back to what Ben and I were saying at Blood in the Sun. I think the best player comp system I've seen, and I think you agreed, was where you judge it before, then have a modifier afterwards. Mm-hmm. Where it's, this is easier than I thought, same as I thought, or it's tougher than it I It does thought. require an open list event to do that, where you're looking at the list, you're looking at the opponent's units, and then going, okay... I think this list is fair. I think this list is hard. I think this list is meant to win at all costs or quite the opposite. I think this list is soft, fluffy, and in the spirit of, you know, some kind of story arc or or field Mm -hmm. one. Versus, and and then at the end of the game, you can then go, okay, I changed my opinion a little bit. There were things in this list maybe that surprised me, and it was harder than I thought it was. Or, oh no, it's this list was right what I thought it was, or even a little bit softer than what I thought it was. But some of that then, even that, when you're doing player-judged comp and you do that system, some of that comes down to how the game went. I mean, if the list still was the perfect matchup to play against your list... 
you know, you might end up coming, even though that list was soft against like everybody else, that might've been just the perfect combination to take you out and made for an, uh, you know, just not a fun game. I know like meals, a classic example of this was meals, old empire list with the old empire book. Now meals is kind of general that doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes anyways. Mm -hmm. And I usually have a ton of fun playing against them because it's just a really tactical intense kind of game. But his Empire list against my old Orcs and Goblins list was the perfect matchup against me. It would literally, unless I got lucky and he blew up cannons and stuff like that, it was literally tactical surgery for him to take off, like, oh, that that's my first big chaff main threat I got to kill. That Mangler's the next one. Then I kill the pump wagon. Then I kill the chariot. Now I drop mortars on his big big blocks and look at it. By the time he gets to me, he's got like 20 or 25, maybe 30 models left. And that was literally, I mean, and it wasn't that he had that much shooting. It was just that my list was so susceptible to the way his shooting and magic was versus other people's lists. Like, you know, Paul goes into, you know, for, when he did his Cheddar Bowl recap, that his ogre list he built and designed to take that list on. And in, in, rea- in reality, if it wasn't for a lucky pigeon bomb at the end of that game, mm-hmm. you would have just crushed him. Exactly. And and if also it wasn't for a couple of lucky rolls on the cannonball, he wouldn't have even had any characters left to attempt to take me out. And like, as always, obviously it comes down to dice rolls. And I think that can also affect your judgment of what the comp is of another player's list. For example, in that specific example... I obviously could have said that Meal's list was way too hard because I threw everything at it and I hit with everything every turn and I still couldn't take out enough tools that he still couldn't take out most of my army by the end of the game. But of course, that's not obviously the situation at all. If situation was, I built my list to beat his, I did end up beating him and he got off a lucky shot. But losing that 1,000 points right before you decide whether or not the player had a good composition, a bad composition, or a mean composition is not going to be a good situation for you to be objective about that decision. And with my warriors, I experienced people are going, oh, you're going all Nurgle. And at first Mm -hmm. they're kind of like, that's kind of cool. That's a little soft. And they realize they have all these weapon skill three troops that are now hitting on fives. Mm -hmm. Or they have all this shooting that's now, and they're surprised by how much it actually affects the game. Mm Mm-hmm. It it certainly does, and and that's the so so taking that you know I think if you're going to do player judge comp I think that's probably the best system that I've I've played under, but it's it's you know it's pretty easy I think we're all in agreement it's pretty quick to tear it apart. Uh, a lot of player judge comp though is really you score it at the end of the game, mm-hmm. so you're really having your after the game impressions. Well, guess what? Guess what really can weigh in here. Oh, I had a bad game. Not only did I have a bad game player-wise, but you were, you know, my opponent was, you know, didn't make me, you know, feel good about it at all. Like, you know, like I, you know, I go back. I keep going back to that that one game with the the uh, that I played at Wagpaka like two or three years ago. You know, there were a lot of things I think my opponent might have been able to do to, you know. The game didn't go well for me to begin with. The stuff, his stuff, wasn't painted well. Then, you, then the game, you could pretty much call it unpainted. Then you, then you turn around and the game wasn't enjoyable at all. It, just from a gameplay perspective, I just got ground to a 
nut to 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 dust and I just didn't have any opportunity to do anything and nowhere in that did I feel my opponent tried to make you know like apologize for it or or try to make make up for it so if you know all of a sudden now I'm going to score your comp after this game mm-hmm. you know I I hate to say it but the the way I'm the mental state I was in at the end of the game is definitely going to affect or probably going to affect most people in how they might mm-hmm. think your comp turned out. Like, yeah, the game was miserable. I didn't have a good time. So guess what? I'm not only going to give you a, you know, a bad sports score, but I'm going to turn around and give you a bad comp score, even though the two scores should be argued should not be, differently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I would even go so far as to say that that was, you know, I don't think you even would have had the, the strength of character necessarily to say, I need to actually objectively look at this list as the comp. You, I mean, especially since the list wasn't even on the table at the end of the game, it's a situation where everything is colored by the experience of playing the game itself. Exactly. So, I mean, it's, I, I really don't like... Now, coming from a TO perspective, it's the easiest comp system. If you're going to use comp, it's the easiest mm-hmm. system to use. Probably the one that a lot of people aren't going to gripe too much about during mm-hmm. the event. They've, a lot of people have seen it. They don't really gripe about it. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to, you're not going to get a lot of gripe about it until after the event. Mm-hmm. Like somebody's going to feel, ah, oh, somebody, I looked at my comp score. How in the world did I get like five points less than this guy? And that guy had like two units of Mornfang Cav and mm-hmm. two Iron Blasters and the Ogre Horde and the Bull and, the, you know, an Iron Gut Horde, and he somehow got five more comp points than I did. How right. yeah. oh, in the world did that happen? And that's what that ends up getting. But as a TO, you don't get to hear that. You don't, you know, like, hey, there's a certain amount of, like, griping and complaining and dealing with, like, how I'm going to run my event. Mm-hmm. or maybe, And I shouldn't even say it's all that. It's just questions and things that you've got to deal with. You're chasing down people trying to get their lists, especially these bigger events that use bigger compacts. You're chasing down people for their lists. You're chasing down people for money. You're chasing whatever, you you know, you've got to, you know, establishing your whatever. You're working on terrain. All these things you're trying to do as a TO to get the event going. And then you turn around and you got to deal with, Somebody asking you questions about this or that or the other thing about your compact. Those are just a lot. I mean, it's a lot more additional work to try to go more extensively with your comp system that you're going to use. But on the flip side, it does. Player based comp does include one system of judging composition that no other system includes. And that is the composition of the list is actually decided by the person who the list was played against. And so that that obviously can have a negative connotation, but it also is a situation where that person gets a first-hand look at how this army functions. And in a sense, you can definitely get a better sense of what the composition of the list actually plays at than you can just looking at the list on a piece of paper. Here's your other, I mean, here's another counter-argument against player-judge comp. <laughs> Last year for Mary Mayhem, I ran judged based comp where I looked at everybody's list mm-hmm. and roughly gave you, uh, like, I think I had one through five points or something like that is what I gave. Mm-hmm. One person at the event got the, the max points and everybody else got probably a three to five based on what I thought of it. At the end of the event, I did hear a few like, yeah, this list was a little tough. This list was a little tough. This list was probably a little tougher. Why did that score this or that? Mm-hmm. I didn't get a lot of it. But one of the things I realized about halfway through judging lists was that I was a poor judge of being able to judge this. Even though I play quite a, I played quite a bit of Warhammer going into Mayhem, mm-hmm. 
I didn't have enough experience playing against all these different units and different armies to truly make judgments. Now, then you take that a step back and you go to a, a big Warhammer tournament, mm-hmm. you know, like a Blood in the Sun or a North Star or Wog Pack where there's 70, 80 players. 50% of that field probably hasn't played against all 13 armies in anything outside of an occasional game. I mean, you, it's hard, especially here in our current area, I think the, the Midwest, for a player to truly play against 13 different armies worth of armies. What is it? Thir- it is 13, isn't it? I think it's 15 at this there point. 15 actually. different yeah. armies, whatever it is. All the different armies that there are, are available to be played in, in Warhammer Fantasy. Mm-hmm against players that know their armies and are playing their armies at at good, if not really good levels, so that you can truly get a feel of not only what is in that army, but how that army is played well and what might be considered that was rough to play against. And and then that's not even counting some of the armies that can almost be subdivided like demons just going with the gods. Yeah. Well, and, and just as a really good and I think very clear microcosm of this specific issue... How many people do you think at Blood and the Sun had played against Chaos Dwarves before that tournament using the Tomercon list? And especially small playing a tournament list. I can guarantee you that the comp scores that the Chaos Dwarf players, even if we use, you know, if there's used player based comp for the next couple of tournaments, that comp score will go up simply based on the fact that more people will have played the Chaos Dwarves. Yeah. Absolutely nothing to do with the hardness of the list. Even if you ask Chaos Dwarves in general, Tom or Con or not, so few people have played them. Exactly. And so you can't tell me that that's an objective comp versus all the other armies either. I mean, when people played against my Chaos Horse when I was running Ravening Hordes, mm-hmm. a number of times at first they thought, oh, this is going to be so soft. They're Chaos Doors. They're nice and fluffy. Oh, dear God, Earthshaker. Yes, exactly. And, and you know, Kadai Destroyer, that's the big talk right now. Oh, it's so hard to hit. It's so hard to hit. Okay, well, take a character, put the Dragon Bane gem on him, run him up in front of the Kadai Destroyer. You got a two plus word against well, Flaming. Well, need more than the Dragon Bane gem. Well, yeah, uh, stubborn crown too. Okay, and then you can't do damage once you put the stubborn crown on him and the dragonbane gem. All you're doing is tying that guy. Up. All you're doing is tying the Kadai up. You're not actually Correct. doing any damage to it. But it's three hundred something points, and to be able to but do how that many for points is that character going to be worth? Though? You know, one hundred and fifty, two hundred. You're talking a lord if you put a stubborn crown on him and the. Well, I guess you, no, you don't even necessarily crown. need you the stubborn crown, though. You do. It could be the d- gem. Because if you lose combat, I mean that the difference between losing a combat by one or two. But uh, I'm just. I guess if it's a hero, you got two wounds on most armies' heroes. You lose combat by two, it's probably because you're dead. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, it's a situation where people just don't realize that that one little trick can hold up that monster for the entire game if you're lucky. Plus two strength weapon. Exactly. So yeah, it's not a fun unit to play against, but that doesn't mean that it's a hard unit. It's just something that people haven't experienced. When I'm designing my Chaos Dwarf list right now, since I kind of want to get back to playing them again, currently I'm thinking at not taking the Kadai. Now, granted, I'm kind of going the other route and going more heavy on the artillery. Mm-hmm. I won't lie. But people might see, oh, well, he's not taking the Kadai, and then realize, oh, dear God, that Hell Cannon and Dreadquake Mortar are extremely vicious, too. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think that all the... I didn't see a Chaos Dwarf list that was, even though they were taking the Kadai... I didn't see a Chaos Dwarf list that was light on artillery either, but... Well, I'm, I'm thinking from uh, the perspective of Wapaka, where you'd have to drop 400 points. I only saw Iron Tover's, Demon. Tover's list had the Iron... Yeah, the Iron Demon. And the Kadai Destroyer. I thought he had a couple of War Machines in there, too. He only had, like, one small, one or two small units of Dwarfs. He had one unit of Chaos Dwarfs, and then he had a unit 
rid of goblins. Yeah, that was the actually rest of it was. Uh, I don't have the stuff. list in front of me, so I, yeah, I, I don't I, think I guess we. I can't comment <laughs> either, but, but I thought. I mean, I guess I. Well, a I lot of the that stupid train strength, engine. A lot of the strength too. A lot of the strength five artillery is an also rare, and since it dies three hundred some points, you can't really at, take it with at it. Two thousand, you might be. You might not even be able to fit anything more than the Kadai, other than maybe some hobgoblin wolf riders of all things, because they're in rare. Yeah. And but at well, you know, at Blood in the Sun, you might be able to fit an artillery piece, but otherwise, you're going to be having to take the Death Streaker rockets, mm-hmm. which are basically strength three stone throwers using large template that just have a better chance of hitting, basically. Well, and if you think about it, the Kadai destroyer, I don't think in game is any more of a powerful presence than two Hydras, and it's about the same amount of points. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm gonna argue this one. Same. I, they even, both. All right. As a Chaos Dwarf player, I uh-huh. disagree. Hatred. And they don't have to roll. Non-magical attacks needing to re-roll against toughness six is huge. I completely agree. I completely agree. But having to be able to fit it into two units instead of one, being able to have a breath weapon on each of those, being able to have regen on each of those. Even those cannons are needing to re-roll against the Kadai, which may not be huge, but it's, it's significant enough that you have... Double the chance of rolling that one. But it's twice the cost as a single Hydra. So. Hydras don't single-handedly tear up units like Chaos Warriors where Kadai's can. Right. Well. And if you get fl- if you have something with flaming attacks against that Hydra, suddenly his main save is gone. They still got a 4-plus armor. So, but anyway, yeah, like, I think we're we're going that. really off topic here. <laughs> Just to kind of, I guess, wrap up this discussion about composition itself. Do you have any ideas on perhaps a system that might fit? well with what you're doing that's used for a closed list scenario i don't know i i really like a system like the etc comp if i'm going to go comp i want to go all in mm-hmm. but if i'm not going to use comp i mean if, if, if it's anything in between mm-hmm. i just as soon just get rid of it either that or have something incredibly simple would i play this list again yes no that almost isn't enough comp points to make it worth dealing with at that point because you really i mean oh it's one point per game mm-hmm. nobody cares at that point if you don't make comp a significant portion of the tournament points, mm-hmm. it yeah. really isn't worth... Nobody's going to care. They, they don't care, and it doesn't... I mean, the whole point of comp is to keep people from playing... Either to keep people from playing abusive lists, or to allow additional options, or even... You could even say hard boys to the point where they go, bring whatever nastiness you can as a form of comp it, to encourage that. Mm-hmm. Where was I going? I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> Anyways, there's no... <laughs> real in between there i mean it, it, it's some good point, compromise like, yeah if you don't if you just give oh this is going to be worth like five points of your 150 points mm-hmm. yet at this event yeah whatever five points i can afford to lose two or three of those whatever right no big deal yeah. well and or if it's just that yes note when i play against this list kind of thing again everybody at the event's just gonna probably check yes anyways you're not gonna get very many no's anyways so why bother even including Yeah, I, I suppose you're right. Well, and, and in my opinion, it simply is when you're playing Warhammer straight out of the book, there are things that are unbalanced. There are things that are more powerful than the points that they have. You know, There are combos that are going to be broken. When you're playing in a comped environment, I disagree that those things go away. So I would rather play straight out of the book than play with composition when the same errors still occur in the system. I mean, if we look back... 7th edition, one of the tournaments I think that was most effective at comp was not... Rampage was good, but I thought core comp did a lot. 
Mm-hmm. Really having all the extra core being required back at that time when you could have just had 180 points in core. It could have hurt certain armies, though, dramatically to the point where they were completely unplayable because then it goes to which army has the best core. Which is demons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, demons are like, oh, well, you just need yeah. to take more core. Well, I was going to take it anyways. Exactly. Oh, and warriors, yeah. Uh, and well, in VC, okay, well, I've got skeletons or ghouls or whatever. And if all of a sudden you've got more models on the table against me, well, that's obviously not going to play to my strength, which is be able to tie down units. Even to that matter, you just go to like high elves, wood elves, dark elves. Those three armies are... Their core, their just core is ridiculous. I mean, I guess dark elves have, <laughs> are the, of the three elf armies have the most options and probably have the best core. But like high elves, oh, I have two options now. All of a sudden, I got to feel the thousand points of my army as core. Yeah, that that sucks. And then, and then you turn around, like especially since like high elves, like oh, I got to spend a thousand points on my core. Well, it's a hundred and when they only needed two. Yeah, yeah. When I only needed two before, and now I've, I'm like, oh, well, I can fan, field ten man units of archers, so I'll just feel a thousand points of archers. Well, I guess what? Guess what? A thousand points of archers ain't going to be fun to play against. You know, when they're throwing seventy, eighty, ninety shots a turn at you. Well, I was kind of going with this. I and Alex had said this, and I really do agree with him on this. I think the eighth edition changes did a lot to help balance the game. I mean, yes, there's still power combos. There's still nasty things. I think there always will be. But I think 8th edition has done a lot to address a lot of the old problems. Well, that's kind of what we said at the very beginning of the segment that we recorded was simply that 8th edition has eliminated a lot of the disparity that kind of necessitated comp to exist to begin with. It certainly has. There's still armies that I think are behind the curveball as a whole. And if they don't have a comp system that's very strongly comped, that they just don't, they're it's very hard to be successful with players of the same skill. Wood elves, yes and no. I think more along the lines of like tomb kings would be in there. Would be a big one in there. I, I honestly can't think of anything else besides tomb kings. It's really kind of behind the eight ball at the moment. But that's and just... they're, they're a new book on top of but, things. Exactly. I mean, the thing so. with the tomb kings is I just don't know anybody right now that's playing them. At a high level in my current meta, it's not like I have. I mean, everybody knows Mark know, the Beastman is playing Dark. Tomb Kings and, and having a great seems time. Like he's and, doing really well. Yeah, with them. but he's, in the Midwest, it's just not happening. Yeah, well. exactly. But he hasn't played in any of the bigger tournaments lately, so <laughs> we haven't seen a lot out of him. But I, I don't know. I it, it, just in our local meta, I don't know anybody that's running Tomb Kings and doing really well with them. I mean, I've always avoided, of of the undead armies, it's one, one I've wanted to do, but I've avoided it because there's been, used to be we had a, quite a few different Tomb King players, and even still, one of the regular guys I play against plays them. I don't think he plays them at a very at overly high level, partially because he self-comps himself quite a bit. Yeah. I'll only play but, my Tomb Kings casually. Yeah, and one of our other friends will only play Tomb Kings if they don't have any shooting. <laughs> I mean, it just ends up in the situation where that self-comping comes into play again. So, so, anyways, I think we've pretty much taken care of that. We've beaten that to death as much as we want. several <laughs> times. So we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. We'll take a break here, and when we come back, you'll catch the rest of episode 15. Hey, Ben. Yo. You live in Wisconsin, right? Last I checked. And you play Warhammer, right? I sure do. I'm getting really tired of playing you every week. How do you get a hold of other people to play Warhammer in Wisconsin? Well, I just post over on the WWHFB forums. WWHFB? What's that? What's the Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League? Really? 
Yeah, there, there's, there's one in Wisconsin. Yeah, that's what they are. They are all over the place. Really? Whether so, it's Milwaukee or Madison, Janesville or or lacrosse, they're all over. They got members everywhere. They're always looking to play games, answer questions about Warhammer, just have fun. Wow, that sounds awesome. What was that website again? It's at www.wwhfb.com. Was that wwhfb.com? Yeah, that's it. wwhfb.com. That is it. I'll have to check it out. All right, you do. All right. Hey, yo, folks. Wisco Dice is bringing you a special series coming soon. We are unshackling the Conesy and launching Conesy's Diaries. Conesy's Diaries will be a short show focusing on what Conesy is working on, the games he's playing, and hey, whatever else the Conesy wants to do. So, hey, we're going to launch the show three times a week. Make sure you listen. Tune it in, man. Yes, yes, Conesy, he's my favorite. You gotta listen. Gaming with children this week, I kind of just wanted to talk a little bit about being okay, a little bit more about with where I am in life and that kind of thing. So really simply, it's just being okay with this is the best that I can do, and that's where I'm at. So from a family kind of perspective, it's knowing that this is what I'm capable with being around the child, and this is the things that I can do. There's just certain things that I can't do with my child because I'm not a woman, etc., blah, blah, blah. So how this really affected me this week is I said earlier I was working on my Famir Baelfiend, and when I got done converting it, I was like, well, this is not the best thing ever. It's something that I worked at. It's something that I tried really hard at, and I tried a bunch of new techniques. And I got to the end of the conversion process, and I was like, wow, this really doesn't fit the image I had in my head at all. And it's probably not the most successful conversion I've done. It's unfortunately not the worst either. But I was really just like, you know what, but this is my best right now. I would rather put my best on the table than hire somebody to do something and then put that on the table. So I went up and then actually ended up painting it all the way to the end. And I actually really like the way that it looks now. Um, It kind of, I did a couple of things in painting to make it a little bit less blocky, less, you know, what I thought was bad about it. And I'm really happy to have done it. I don't think it's the best thing ever still. Uh, I think it's going to look kind of interesting on the table, but it's something that I did. And it at this point in time is the best of my ability. And if I want to go back and fix stuff, sure, I'll go back and fix stuff at a later date when I have those skills. But for me, being able to have that experience with my family and learning to go to the point where I can go and then go no further. So for example, I can't breastfeed my child, so I can't comfort my child and they're crying. That kind of an aspect. This is exactly where I am right now. And this is where I've gone. So that's my gaming with children. Okay. I think we're done with that level of uncomfortableness. (laughs) Let's move on to something. Oh, come on. Breast milk was a central topic on Ohio hammer. Did you not listen to Ohio hammer and hear this whole conversation? 
Badger is always better than the Buckeye, so I'm not sure why we're even bringing that up. But All okay. right. We're going to talk about Invasion Kenosha, I think. Yes. That's our next event that we are pumped up and psyched to be at. Yeah, in one week. Yep, You'll probably hear this. One week from when we're recording right yeah. now. <laughs> well, probably about right around release time for this cast. Yeah. So what is Invasion Kenosha, then? Well, it's a Warhammer tournament that's been held by... John has been running this for, this is the fifth or sixth one or something like that. I honestly don't know. A bunch of years. Uh, many years. And it's just a, it's a nice little single day event. Mm-hmm. It's fairly casual. He gets a really good turnout. Huge sponsorship. I think the amazing amount of different vendors he gets to chip in and have as sponsors for this event. Painting it's, required. Yeah, it's a painting required. 1,600 points, mm-hmm. which is a little... John likes playing smaller games, mm-hmm. and so it's a little bit unusual to bring 1,600-point lists and playing these size games, but it's something that he feels very strongly about and does change up the feel. I mean, I think because it's because it's something that takes everybody that goes to it out of their comfort zone, comfort zone their tournament normal, like a guy like, you know, when I say you play the same list, you just play it over and over and over and over and over again. Your list isn't built at sixteen hundred points. Your list yeah, is nobody built at 2,000 has sixteen hundred point lists. You know, yeah, I have little variances, but my core of my list is usually always the same. When I go to two thousand to twenty four hundred, it's mm-hmm. still pretty much the same core. I just now have more stuff. Yeah, where sixteen hundred points comes in, you're like, huh. I can't quite get my core of my 2,000-point list into this. Mm-hmm. If I dro- start dropping things too dramatically, it makes things not work right. Yep. And so it, it, it gets everybody out of their comfort zone. It gets everybody into, uh, I'm here to play at Invasion Kenosha because it's just, I want to have fun. Versus, I know I'm going to win and I'm going to play as hard as I'm going to win. I mean, there's still a few people that show up like that, but... I mean, it's. I think it's a, it's a very relaxed because of the point size and everything. It makes it a much more mm-hmm. relaxed event. Well, and John does a whole lot not on the Warhammer side as well. Um, his terrain is amazing. I really like the terrain every time I've been there. But what he really has done a great job of is really make it um, to be a destination. And what that simply means is that for breakfast, he gives you breakfast. He gives you coffee. Topher complained last year about coffee. Not complained. He never complains about stuff, but he said, hey, coffee would be nice. So this year, John's like, you know what? I'm going to have coffee, and that's great because I didn't complain last year, and I went out and got my coffee because I was like, I need my coffee. And he brings in lunch, and he brings in all this stuff, all this prize support. He has great terrain, great food for breakfast, great food for lunch, and it's not that expensive. And it's just – it's a great just relaxing atmosphere to sit and play Warhammer with other people. Yeah, it's a good venue. There's, I mean, I know the work that goes into putting on an event and putting on a, a really good event. And for me personally, to, to do the kind of work that he does uh, for Invasion Kenosha, I've, I've been doing roughly that for Merry Mayhem now for the last two or three years to invest that kind of time and effort and energy to do that for just a one-day event. That's, that's a lot of effort. That's a lot of, a lot of work, and you gear up. I mean, me personally, I gear up three, four months. I'm just, I'm gearing up right now. I'm starting to get that roll going for Mary Mayhem. It's roughly five months, six months away, but 
I start here really gearing and getting into that mode. I mean, I'm start buying. I'll be buying stuff. I'm hitting vendors now for potential sponsorship. Mm-hmm. And so knowing what he, you know, he's still committed to doing that one day thing, and that's really good because at this point, I think the area is getting a little bit more saturated with two day events. So keeping it to a one day event is really important. Mm-hmm. But and and the inclusion of multiple game systems now and and such is really really uh, makes it what his effort really unique. So with that being said. Let's kind of move into what are we thinking about taking list-wise. So that's one of the things. We, we're not locked into a list yet. We turn in lists the day of. Yep, we walk up, hand in the list, and there we go. So what are you thinking for list-wise what you're going to take? Well, as I already said, I converted up a Famir Balefiend. So that's going to be actually one of the central figures of my list. Uh, it's from Stormer Magic, 175 points plus 35 points to make it a level 3 and has access to Shadow Magic. And that's something that ogres don't normally have, so I'm excited to kind of run that. And since I actually have a level 3 in my rare choice, that frees up my lord choice to be able to take a tyrant, which I always want to take, but I always have to take a slaughtermaster instead to make the list more effective. So I'm going to be running a tyrant, a BSB. Um, I might try and squeeze in a firebelly, we'll see. Then I'm going to have my core ogre horde and a unit of three mourn fangs and an iron blaster, and that's going to be the list, so... That's pretty much where it's going to be, and I'm pretty happy with it at the moment. Ben, how about you? All right, I'm going to stick with the Dark Elves. I think it's important for me to stick with the same army here because, as of late, tournament games have been pretty much the only games of Warhammer I'm getting to play. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to stick with the same army to try to reinforce that comfort level, again, with my units. I don't want to change it up too dramatically. I'm going to bring a list, I think, that's going to feature, though, a a drastic change for me list-wise over my uh, tournament list that I took to uh, Blood in the Sun. And that's going to be, I'm going to go, I'm going to really drive the monster theme in this list. So I'm going to... I'm gonna probably I'm gonna continue to take my Dreadlord on Dark Pegasus because I really like the model and the conversion that came, that current came out of it. I'm going to take uh, Master on a Mana Core, and I'm going to try to somehow fit in there a BSB. Beyond that, I've been thinking I'm going to go ahead and then I want to I'm gonna include a couple of units of Dark Riders for your core, like, like for my core. But I'm gonna probably have because I don't have enough Dark Riders to make. The 400-point minimum, I'm going to have to take a unit of probably a crossbowman to make up the points. And then I'm going to have a unit of cold one night cabinet. And honestly, I think I'm going to get a one cold one ch- cold one night chariot. Then I'm going to take probably dual hydra. But there'll be no there'll be no magic, no black guard, no not you know none of the other units to get me the good stuff in the list. So I think my concession is, yeah, I'm taking two Hydras, but I'm going to not take any of the other things that really yerk you about Dark Elves. Well, you know, you could actually take a Hydra out of the Storm of Magic, and you can upgrade them to have different things as well. So that actually might add a little bit of flexibility. And they don't have the hatred from the Dark Elf book, so it makes them a little bit nicer as well. I don't get hatred? You don't get hatred. That's terrible. Yeah, but I mean, you were conceding things in your list, so I mean, there'd be another and opportunity. Magic one cost me more points. <laughs> yes, it does. 
It's terrible. Yeah, it's fairly costed. No, it's terrible. <laughs> All right. Why would I? Why would I handicap purposely handicap myself like that? It's just awful. For the fluff of the game. And there's no handlers with it. It's terrible. <laughs> it's a terrible Hydra. It's not terrible. It's a good Hydra. It's just not an amazing Hydra. Actually, like no, the I dark mean, it's Alpha. not that good. It, if it's base Hydra with no handlers, it's leader six. That's terrible. All right. Yeah, if I can't kill and thunderstomp my way to victory with it, I have to take one break check. That thing's done. I lose combat by one. Oh, no, I've just lost 200-plus points. Forget that. It's terrible. <laughs> I've just given you ideas. Throwing just, out throwing out I softballs. Mean, that's really – I mean, if it had handlers that were, like, leader eight with it at 200 points, that would be a good selection. But when, when it's leadership six, that's – oh, hey, something died near it. Okay, it's running. Oh, let's see if I rally it. Nope, it's still running. Well, let's see if I rally it. Okay, now it's out of the game. It's just a bad choice. Maybe that's a preview of what's coming up in the new Dark Elf book. No handlers for the Dark Elf Hydra. That ain't going to happen. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Moving on. We're still on the same segment. Uh, yeah, just moving on from my, what, what was the word I was thinking of? Irksome comments. I guess. <laughs> I'm not sure where you were going, but I, okay. I was just saying, I'm going to shut up now. You can talk without interruption. Uh, well, I mean, there's, I don't know. I mean, what else is there? I'm. I did not think this out very well. That was it. That was the end of the that segment. That was pretty much the end of the segment. Yeah, that was the end of the segment, which is why I said we should move on. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that means we move into the next segment. So I believe we're now moving on to Conzie's Rant. This Conzie's Rant really isn't so much of a rant so to speak, but more of an opportunity I'm going to take to resend and apologize for the way a couple of comments that I've made on the show have been taken and try to take this opportunity to elaborate a little bit on my personal feelings on the subject. And that is regarding affecting somebody's sportsmanship score because of their paint. I want to... First and foremost, say that doing this solely because somebody's paint job is bad is bad sportsmanship in its own right. I want to make sure that that's clear. I do consistently believe that appearance of your army and what you're putting on the table is a reflection partially of yourself. And certainly when I'm in any situation where you're meeting somebody, especially for the first time, is part of that first impression sequence. And first impressions, as we all know, are a large part of what we form our opinions about other people. And so a poorly painted army, when, you're, when you put that in front of the table, when you I shouldn't even say poorly painted, when you put that, like, that splotchy painted army in front of the table against somebody else, at an event that they've spent a lot of money and time and effort to come to will certainly put somebody off and start them out in a negative mood. That's just part, I think, that comes with being first impressions Mm -hmm. and can start the road towards a bad experience 
which can lend itself to a bad sportsmanship score. I bring this up not because I want to continue reiterating this topic, but because I want to apologize for some of those comments, try to clarify myself, and this is really because of the conversation that on the 14B that Cranky and I had mm-hmm. regarding the topic. And I, the more I thought about it, the more I came to a point in, th- in my line of thought that I agreed with everything that Cranky said. Mm-hmm. This, starting with a poorly painted army or a splotchy painted army, in the instance where I scored the gentleman poor scores for the game, was the catal- it was not the catalyst... But it is one of the things I have stamped and remember about the game because of the way the game was played and the way my opponent played against me. And it was everything from here is my first impression of the guy, here is what he put on the table, the way he played. I felt he played very gamey and very... it It wasn't a relaxed and fun experience for me. And all of these things added up to a very negative experience. And the big thing that I remember about that game all these years afterwards is the appearance of his arm and how much that first impression still weighs with me mm-hmm. as one of the big things that I remember out of it. So I wanted to clarify that, make sure that I got that out there. <laughs> I still have all, a lot of the feelings that we've talked about and, and about in previous and had basically had its own cast because I made those statements. I wanted to go ahead and just get that out in the air and and make sure that that was clear. So this is that Conzi rant. I guess this has kind of been a rant because I've been yapping forever, but that's the way it is. All right, I want to I want to actually add my own apology on top of that. Um, so this is no longer Conzi's rant, but this was my apology. So when the... you're gonna apologize for never getting the rules right. No, of course not. You're going to apologize for playing ogres and being one of those guys? No, of course not. You're going to apologize for your face? No, of course not. Ugh. So when Blood in the Sun announced that having a an engraved nameplate was part of the appearance scores, I kind of joined in and was really negative about it because I was like, that's ridiculous. You're making people pay money to have something that's not Warhammer related that's on the table, and that's ridiculous. I think it's stupid that you're asking people to pay money. And so I didn't get a nameplate, and I ended up using my flask and my name tag, and I thought it was really funny. But I have to say that walking around the tables of Blood in the Sun, seeing all those engraved nameplates, and even the other ones that weren't engraved but just looked really nice, that was great. Like Ben said, it made it so much easier to do player's choice. It made it so much easier to just be like, oh, I know whose army this is. So I was actually so impressed by actually being able to know who it was, what their army was. They actually walked out, and I got my own engraved nameplate for my army. So this is an apology to Grant and Steve and Chris. I'm sorry. You were right. There you go. It's it's amazing how the Council of Three has made so many, many – I mean, they know what they're doing. I mean, they run a great tournament. So yes. it's, even when you kind of doubt them, they're st- trying to steer things in a direction that makes overall for a much more con- – Conducive, conducive yeah. and enjoyable gaming experience for everybody else. Well, and I, I also have to say that getting my engraved nameplate with my army on it was just like, wow, this is going to look so amazing in front of my army when I play it on Saturday. It's just, yeah. So that was a good call. Thank you. Okay. All right. So hobby and gaming goals for the next couple of weeks. 
All right, so I guess my first goal is going to be I've, I've got a couple of things that I would like to get painted yep. in time for Invasion Kenosha. So I've got a hobby goal for a week from now, and that is I have a, a Cold One Chariot mm-hmm. and five shades that are at this point mostly finished painting. I need to get those painted. Yeah. And that's strictly so I can put the list that I want to put on the table. On the table. On the table for Invasion Kenosha. All right, cool. Beyond that, moving forth from that, my next hobby goal will be to go ahead and get the repeater crossbowman unit finished, assembled, at least the one the models I own. I've got another eight I need to assemble, so it'll give me 13 new repeater crossbowmen to work with for my Dark Elf Army. I want to get those assembled. I'd like to get them primed. And if I can get all of that accomplished in the next couple of weeks... Mm-hmm. Before we set to record 16, I will be very, very happy. All right. Cool. Um, my hobby and gaming goals, I've already finished my army for Invasion Kenosha. I'm not going to have a display board or anything like that. And I, I know I'm not going to have any time to do anything through the rest of the week. So my army's already done. Uh, so my hobby and gaming goals are going to be focused on the week after that. I'd like to, I think, try and get some work done on my Spider Rider army. I, like I said, finished my Arachnorok, and I'm actually really excited to start working on it again. And it's something that I would like to be able to field, and I think would look really good on the table. So I'm going to start working on planning that out again and making sure that that is something that will hit the table instead of hopefully someday might. I'm going to start working on that. Okay. Well, what do we talk about today, Ben? I think we pretty much, let's see, we talked about comp. Comp. We talked about Invasion and Kenosha a little bit. We did. We talked a little bit about display boards and painting as well. Yeah, which weren't necessarily on the docket, but I think they were probably a couple of the best things we talked about <laughs> in the show. And we went ahead and gave some great shout-outs and thanks to our sponsors. So Yeah, and also thank you for the comments on Facebook and the comments on Twitter. So yeah, Michael Jordle won the contest on Facebook that we just had. Yep, for twelve uh, whiskey. Literally guys. like four four hours before we recorded this. Yep. Saying, hey, just give us your thoughts about comp and anybody that commented, whether it was on Facebook or Twitter, to my original topic by uh, I said one o'clock, mm-hmm. but I think it ended up being uh, roughly when we started recording mm-hmm. and gave us some comments and feedback. We were going to go ahead and. Get them a set of Wisco dice, so congratulations, Michael Jordan. Uh You got yourself a set of dice. I think we'll get them to you at Invasion Kenosha, but hey. All right, well, that sounds like actually a really good segue for how do you contact the show on the host. Obviously, Facebook is a great way. Uh, Duggan Brightax on Twitter. Duggan Brightax. Or you can talk to Wisco Dice on Twitter. That works, too. Uh, or you can go to iTunes, Blackberry Podcast, Stitcher Smart Radio, leave a review for us. That'd be yeah, awesome. Yep, definitely leave a review. If you're in the UK, if you're in Australia, if you're in Romania, please feel free to leave a review. Yeah, well, if you're if you're not in the US and you leave us a review and you want us to see it, want, make sure you uh, on on any of those media. Why don't you make sure you send us an email? at hosts at wiscodice.com or if you don't want Paul to see it Check you can just email emails. me directly at bcone at wiscodice.com or if you don't want Ben to see it you can just email me at pwagner at nobody wants, nobody has anything they don't want me to see what are you talking about well, that's not what I've heard or you can like us on Facebook we are definitely climbing towards our goal yeah Sweet. we had a few more folks uh, 
join the likes on the Facebook group. And guess what, folks? We're going to – I know we just said no more contests, but we kind of got bored of that. So we're going to have a <laughs> contest. Uh, by the time this show airs or pretty close to when the show airs, uh, the 14th of July, we are give, we are doing the drawing for the Games Day tickets. And Correct. to win those, you just have to pop on our Wisco Dice forums at the Wisco Dice website, mm-hmm. which is wiscodice.com. www.wiscodice.com. You don't need the Ws. Well, you can. You can use them, though. It's not detriment. It, they will work. Yes. Well, I think we should go ahead and move the date back to the 15th since we're going to be playing Warhammer on the 14th. Oh, no, no, I'm doing it on the 14th. All right. I'm not pushing that date back. I'm All right. I have to contact the winner, get an address, get those passes shipped out. I need to do it on the 14th. All right. So the 14th of July, there you go. So we'll go ahead and do that drawing. We will get those away. And then every once in a while, before we before the start of a show, like maybe a few hours before the start of a show, we're going to pop onto Facebook or Twitter or, or Google+. Google+, Plus, where you can find us at wiscodice at gmail.com. And we're going to just say, hey, give us our feedback. Give us some feedback about the show. And we're going to go ahead and give a person that comments a prize. So, uh, Maybe it'll be a hug from Conzie. Yeah, it Maybe it'll be some dice. Could be a hug. Could be some dice. Could be models. Whatever it might be, we'll go ahead and, and uh, make sure that you we get something out. So... Make sure you check in those groups. We do, you know, I've been posting on the both on the uh, wiscodice at gmail dot com and uh, for our, our Google Plus, and I've been posting on our Facebook, Facebook page well. mm-hmm. various uh, and on the Facebook group various pictures of stuff I've been working on, whether it's pictures of the work in progress studio, pictures of models, pictures mm-hmm. of whatever. I've been trying to get some discussions going in those media as well. I know Paul does a pretty decent job of interacting with the Twitter commute folks that are out there. Oh, yeah, I'll yell at you on Twitter. Just let me know, and I'll yell. It's really He fun. doesn't make any sense most of the time, just like on the show, but that's besides the point. Yeah, somebody actually made a comment about, yeah, that's another Wisco Dice idea that does not make sense. Well, yeah, unfortunately, that's true. Pretty but I have ideas. that Paul says doesn't make much oh, sense. Oh, come on. Let's not get that ridiculous. I'm pretty sure that... That's a that's a comment that I'm not going to get much guff about. I'm going to go ahead and say we'll see you next time. Yes, yes, comp. I don't like that very much. I'd like to play without comp. Comp is very annoying. Oh, why do people use it? <laughs> bad comp. Bad, bad, bad. Evidently, our fan is a monkey. A monkey? You got that out of that? Yes. I got a monkey out of that. So says the guy whose kid was bred from the mailman. Yeah, well. Or no, they... He's going to have a lot of calcium. Sorry, I can't even get that right. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening. Peace out.